Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are excited to be with you this Tuesday. We've got a number of interesting things going on. We have Brad Holcomb who's going to talk today about the uh, Purchasing Managers Index Report or the PMI. We have Chris Keel, who is a noted economist. He's also the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. And we have an announcement that uh, Dr. Adriana Sanford, who has been with us as a senior international correspondent, has become executive producer and show host of her own show called A Global Perspective with Dr. Adriana Sanford. It immediately follows this show. You need to go to mfgtalkradio.com and go to her page. There's a nice banner on the top of the home page. You can click to her page and listen to her segment. Before we get to all of our guests, I'd like to get to Lou Weiss, my co-host, who is up in New Jersey. Lou, how are you today? Uh, <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. It's been a wild, wild weekend. Um, so let me get right to it. There's a, a, a in our postscript. Uh, Paul Reiser, President and CEO of uh, uh, OPS Solution, creator of the Light Guide Systems. It's an augmented reality software uh, program, tool, if you will, uh, that creates um, uh, light and proprietary software to transform manufacturing. Uh, a fairly new uh, concept. Most people would know augmented reality when they're watching football games, when they see the yellow line across the field. That's augmented reality. Uh, it's gotten a lot more sophisticated. you got to listen to Paul tell his story. It's quite, uh, quite interesting, and it's, uh, it's, it's going to make a big difference in manufacturing over the next decades to come. A couple of quick news items. Uh, Boeing has... Uh, received a add-on and change order contract for about $19 million to uh, complete the radar system for the U.S. Air Force, the Air National Guard, and the Saudi, or the Royal Saudi Air Force. I'm not sure how that quite fits in, but nonetheless, they are our friends, uh, and uh, the plant is down in Mississippi. It's going to be performed, the work is going to be performed at uh, the Raytheon company at the, uh, their military radar factory, and they employ about 800 jobs. So more jobs, thank goodness for that. Uh, next item, uh, Honda is planning an expansion of its uh, Alabama SUV pickup truck plant. Uh, big expansion, $85 million. Um, I don't have the numbers, but I know that they're adding a significant number of um, uh, new employees. So Alabama, in, enjoy the uh, presence of new new uh, work down there. As a matter of fact, the number of new employees is 450. Uh, somebody just handed me that. Uh, next, uh, next item. This is kind of an interesting one. Seems as though our our friends in Russia have uh, expanded and taken on a um, uh, our, our technology of 3D printing 
and they have now built the first home completely 3D printed as a single unit. It's 400 square feet. They must have little people in Russia. It's 400 square feet, no components. It's all one building. And uh, it's in a town called Apiscor, P-I-S-C-O-R. And it's about 60 miles from Russia, which means that there's probably not another house within 60 miles. Uh, in case the thing crumbles, no one will ever know about it. But uh, look it up on the Internet. It sounds like an interesting, uh, and I'm looking at a photograph of it, and it looks like an interesting uh, piece of uh, technology. That being said, uh, back to you, Tim. Yes, that house is uh, was built with a rather fascinating technology. They used to build it indoors, and they wanted to prove the technology, so they built a tent out in the tundra where it was, I think, uh, 10 degrees below zero. So they could have some kind of controlled temperature. And then they used concrete, kind of like toothpaste coming through a tube. They used concrete (laughs) coming through a tube. And printed the house. It's remarkable. A lot of snow. Yeah. A lot of snow. Yeah. The picture we're holding up has got this little uh, this little home uh, surrounded by uh, frozen because they're I think they did this project in January. Yeah. Well, so you it, wouldn't want to do it when uh, the people would be the workers who did it would be comfortable. So yeah. it's an odd it is an odd looking house. There's a lot of snow around it, and um, I hope it doesn't freeze up and crumble. Yeah, apparently the unit that, that does this is quite portable, and so it uses a 3D uh, CAD design that knows exactly what to do. And if you watch the video that's online, you can actually see it squeezing out this uh, concrete like toothpaste, and then they put in uh, support structure, and they put in all of the uh, plumbing. And it's rather fascinating to watch it, but it was built in 24 hours, as I recall. Yeah, correct. Uh, meanwhile... I, I think they're even claiming that they invented 3D printing, but <laughs> that's, that's an old story. They, they've invented everything. Yes, if any of you were fans of the old Star Trek show, you uh, always saw Pavel Chekhov saying something to the effect of, yes, that was invented in Russia, regardless <laughs> of what it was. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so what do we got going here? Shortly we're going to be joined by Brad Holcomb, who's going to talk about the ISM report. Just to uh, remind everybody, the ISM number, what they call the PMI, or the Purchasing Manager's Index number, is a uh, roll-up number. They add up all the categories, and it rolls up. So even though the number is less than last month, it's above 50, which is area of expansion. So we'll be... Very interested to see what Brad has to say about the particular components of the report. And then- uh, there, was, there was an interesting report that came out today by Chad Moutre from NAM, who shows that the uh, projection for the first quarter of 2017, uh, we, we had the chart here a few moments ago, uh, surpassed all quarters of 2016 significantly. And uh, 
in my uh, other life and my paying job at Old Metals and Forge, Old Metals and Forge Group, uh, those numbers and projections that NAM has made, uh, and more than likely Brad Holcomb from ISM is going to be making as well, is that uh, our sales at All Metals and Forge Group for the first two months of this year so far has real uh, three months of the year has really skyrocketed. So all you forging competitors of mine, give yourselves a high five. Yes, we certainly hope that your uh, deliveries go out to 26 weeks. We hope you have a banner year, uh, and then All Metals and Forge Group will have a banner year too. Matter of fact, I'm even going to volunteer to our friendly competitors, so I'd be happy to do the marketing for you so you can get more business so your deliveries do go out to 26, 28 weeks. And we'll be quoting our usual 8 to 12 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see that we have Brad Holcomb, who is uh, joining us on the show here, and we will be speaking with him about the ISM report, followed by Chris Keel. So, Brad, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio with another great report on the Purchasing Managers Index, the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business. Brad? Always a pleasure to be with you, and especially with such a good set of numbers uh, for the month of March. Yes, we're very much looking forward to it. So I'm just going to let you jump right into it because this was a great report. Well, it is, and now we have uh, three months uh, in the drawer. The first quarter is now history, and it's a, it's a great history. The PMI uh, last month in March, 57.2. Uh, it's down from 57.7, but still very, very strong and uh, growing for seven consecutive months. Uh, 17 of our 18 industries reported uh, uh, strong growing PMIs with, uh, with one standing pat from last month. So no industry reported contraction in the month of March, and that's, that's very, very good. But even, even better, all 18 industries reported growth in new orders in the month of March. So that's especially good because we know that new orders – uh, of course, drives this whole system ultimately. Well, you um, did another. You did another great job, Brad. <laughs> well, thank you. I, 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 I try. I try my best. Uh, we, we do but, know uh, that. Tr- but, but, but truly, it it speaks to, you know, what's going on in the U.S. in terms of employment, uh, in terms of an upbeat attitude, in terms of. Um, you know, high levels of employment, people, more people have jobs and uh, jobs beget paychecks that go, go to the store and, uh, and create this kind of uh, momentum and activity. Well, Brad, why don't you walk through this in this report, if you folks are, are familiar with it, you know there's a manufacturing at a glance chart that uh, the Institute for Supply Management puts together every month, uh, and they are at instituteforsupplymanagement.org. Uh, under news and uh, research is this report, but I'm going to have Brad go through this chart and some of the comments because this is always uh, full of revelations. Brad? Yes, uh, indeed. This manufacturing at a glance table uh, really gives uh, the, almost the whole picture uh, in a succinct form. 
with the PMI starting out on top, as we've mentioned, it's up uh, in the 57.2 uh, level, uh, down a half a point from last month, but again, growing for seven consecutive months. The next five indexes on the list feed directly into the PMI and create the PMI at a 20% equal weighting each, and those include new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, uh, and uh, inventories of raw materials. So back to the, uh, the first one of those five new orders at 64.5, very strong. It was 65.1 last month, uh, also very strong. Uh, new orders is growing for seven consecutive months. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, all of our 18 industries that we cover reported growth in new orders. P production and employment are next, and, and those two are interesting. They work uh, hand in hand. Production was actually at 57.6, down 5.3 percentage points from last month's 62.9, um, but it's been growing for seven consecutive months. And you know, some may be asking, well, why is it down when new orders are up and so on? Well, production uh, always wants to, to level production uh, according to available labor and available assets, resources, equipment, that sort of thing. So they did the best they could with what they had. There could have been some shutdowns there. Uh, but more, more uh, of a factor potentially is the level of employment was not quite where uh, it needed to be to fulfill all those new orders. And so that's why you see the employment number up 4.7 percentage points from last month to 58.9. Still looking for people to hire. There's a couple of comments suggesting that it's becoming more difficult to find people uh, and find talent, at least in certain regions and, and certain disciplines. So uh, those, those two things work together. But as we bring on more employees, and, and to the extent that these new orders continue, then that production number will be strong uh, going forward. And it's strong today. It's just down from a, a super strong 62.9 last month. Um, I'm going to skip around for, for one minute here. Um, we talked about new orders, but let's drop down in this table to backlog of orders. That's at 57.5, up a half a point from last month's very strong 57 uh, so the backlog is is increasing that's because production wasn't quite quite able to keep up as i mentioned and to have a strong backlog bodes well for the future as well it means they got a lot of orders new and old orders uh, to work on um, I've covered new orders, production, and employment in the top five. Next is supplier deliveries. Uh, when, when suppliers ha slow down or, or can't quite you know, meet deliveries on a scheduled time, that means that it's, it's a tight supply chain. We consider that a good thing. It means that everybody's working hard to, to keep up and catch up. Uh, it's been uh, above 50 
in that regard. In other words, slowing for 11 consecutive months. And this month it's at 55.9, up 1.1. So it's slowing faster this month than last month. And again, that's a good thing because it uh, indicates tightness in the supply chain. Uh, finally, on the list of, uh, of five that feed into the PMI inventories at 49.0, uh, dropped down below 50 again. It was 51.5 last month, so it's contracting from growing. Uh, and, and yet at 49, that's, that's a territory that it's been prior to last month for several months in a row, indicating you know, a lean inventory control policy, you know, keeping things tight, uh, but certainly enough to, you know, satisfy uh, production and new orders, uh, while at the same time keeping cost of carrying inventory down to a minimum. Brad, I see there's uh, quite a spread this month between new orders and inventory, the calculation that you do. Has it ever been this uh, significant? Well, that's, that's something that we, we look for, uh, and I like anything that's above five in, in that it's sort of an informal index that, uh, that I look at. And this month it's at 15.5. So, you know, the difference between new orders and inventory at 15.5 is, is very strong, kind of scanning my data records here. And I have to go back a long ways. I see a, a 15. 15.0 back in uh, 2010, and I see a 21.5 back in uh, November of 09. So, you know that 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 history is, you know, perhaps not as relevant uh, as it was, you know, some time ago, but it's uh, it's definitely a high point since the recession uh, uh, was over. Brad, from my self-centered, selfish side, wouldn't that indicate? <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't that indicate that uh, uh, inventories need to be brought up to a level to accommodate the new orders and the strong backlog of orders, meaning that raw materials will have to be uh, ordered soon? Well, yes. Uh, Again, assuming new orders continue at this pace, uh, you know, definitely that is, uh, you know, pretty compelling to increase inventories. Um, right. But but at at the same time, you know, companies are expecting their their suppliers to be n more nimble and, and to uh, be able to to manufacture, procure, deliver. Uh, inventories, you know, almost at a moment's notice. And that's, that's the way the world works uh, these days more and more so. Um, but, but yes, there is sort of a vacuum there that would suggest, uh, you know, ordering inventories. Right, right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's true as we go down the list of customer inventories, which is finished goods inventories at 47 down a half a point, they're considered too low, uh, sort of faster, you know, now too low for six consecutive months. And, and that's a good thing in this in environment as well, because that uh, is suggestive that, 
customers need to restock their shelves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Right, I'm now, particularly interested in the uh, the comments from some of your respondents, particularly those related to uh, employment. What do your respondents say? Yeah, well, specifically on on employment, we have one from the transportation industry that's got a couple of parts to it. Uh, first, you know, the industry outlook is is looking relatively flat currently, and the view for the calendar year 2017 looks to be flat as well. Uh, but let's remember the transportation industry includes uh, aircraft, uh, rail cars, as well as automobiles. So you have to kind of put that all together when you consider this comment. But it goes on to say the job market has been very good in the region and finding talent has been challenging. So in the region of this particular respondent, you know, there are a lot of jobs and and people are pulled from one company to the next. uh, And it's harder to find talent to to replace uh, individuals and to replace attrition. Uh, and uh, there's another comment, you know, here somewhere that, uh, yes, from fabricated metal products right up your alley. Regional business go. is strong. Hiring qualified team members has improved. Well, that's a, that's a good uh, comment on uh, employment. So uh, at, at, at times where it's difficult, then, you know, if, if training is re- required, uh, then that ramps up, and you you then get qualified uh, team members to to select from. Good, but aside aside from those comments, you know, most of the comments uh, there's some short and sweet ones. Chemical products, business conditions continue to improve. Computer and electronic products, business outlook is positive. Um, and, and, you know, business is up uh, 10 to 15%. That's the machinery uh, category, and we love that because machinery suggests capital equipment and, you know, building building new capacity uh, to to meet this demand is is really, really nice to see. Fred, you've also got uh, quite a jump in uh, prices, and that's been moving upward rather steadily. And then let's talk about uh, imports and exports, which, you know, in the face of a strong dollar, still are doing well. But let me have you address prices first. Yeah, the pricing index is up 2.5 percentage points to 70.5, which is its highest level since May of 2011. It was 68 last month. So prices of raw materials uh, into manufacturing commodities are increasing faster this month than than last month and uh, increasing for 13 consecutive months. So it's it's certainly something to watch. There's a comment that uh, a particular company and perhaps uh, others as well are are raising their prices of, of finished goods products uh, on to their customers or consumers. So uh, it's something that we want to watch and, you know, and the government will certainly measure uh, in terms of, you know, the inflationary impact. Uh, but uh, it, it's certainly suggestive that, 
you know, prices are are on the increase uh, in terms of finished goods, and uh, lots of eyes will be on that as we go forward. And we'll we'll have an update uh, on on that and our expectations when we deliver our semi-annual uh, forecast update in the middle of May uh, at the next uh, large ISM conference, which is actually going to be from the Disney uh, properties in Orlando. And how about what these uh, imports and exports, uh, Brad? They seem to be uh, still booming um, in spite of the strong doubt. Well, very much so. And in, and in fact, with new export orders up, four percentage points to 59. That's a very strong number and suggests that uh, despite whatever's going on with the dollar, and I think it's been up and down the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know, the international community is, is continuing to buy and increasing their appetite for finished products from the U.S. manufacturing folks. And that's, that's really, really good news. Isn't uh, a lot of the new export orders related to uh, the aerospace uh, sector? Well, I think it's it's you know it's pretty broad based, uh, yeah. in, you know, including aerospace. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, at fifty nine, it's uh, it's you know it's very strong. Let me just kind of turn to that section. We've got 11 of our industries reporting uh, growth in new export orders. Mm-hmm. You know that includes wood products, furniture and related, transportation equipment, chemicals, paper products, computer electronic products, electrical equipment, uh, food beverage, fabricated metal products, machinery, and miscellaneous. Uh, uh, there's only one industry. Uh, you know, reporting a decrease, and that was plastic and rubber products, and six industries uh, stood pat from, you know, from uh, March uh, relative to February. So, you know, really lots of uh, activity there and and very broad-based. And then imports registered 53.5. That's a a small decrease of a half a percentage points compared to 54 for February. Uh, but those, those are raw materials and they feed into our inventory, uh, which we've talked about. We've got 10 industries reporting growth in imports. Uh, I won't read the whole list, uh, but it's, you know, it's similar to the, to the other list and you're, Listeners can look at it on our on our website, uh, and, and you know, as I often mention, it would be interesting to track your particular industry in all these different categories and see where you are as a company uh, with respect to uh, to others in manufacturing. Brad, you've got a uh, conference coming up here, uh, May twenty-one to twenty. Or, uh, they can find information at ism2017.org. That's where you do your update, your uh, semi-annual update. Is that correct? Uh, yes, and and you all and and we have been together at these conferences, and and uh, we report live uh, uh, on Monday, uh, that first uh, day of the conference. 
we'll report on our semi-annual uh, forecast update, uh, which will you know, look back at the first uh, four or five months of the year and then look forward to the balance of the year and see where we are with respect to our early forecast in, in December. So stay tuned for that. We'll also feature a noted uh, economist and have, uh, have a panel discussion as well. And then we'll be on the radio with you all to, to report uh, at the same time. Yes, that's usually a terrific information. And uh, that report gets posted at, at uh, instituteforsupplymanagement.org. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. And our website uh, will feature all the details of, of this report, uh, all the monthly reports on manufacturing and non-manufacturing. You know, the next non-manufacturing report will be on Wednesday, uh, presented by my colleague Tony Nieves, and uh, also will feature the semi-annual reports. And you know, to prepare for the next one, I would invite everyone to to revisit the December report uh, to see where we thought things would uh, would go. My my guess is that we're on track um, and possibly ahead of schedule with respect to our forecast. With, uh, with numbers like we've just presented uh, that have been uh, really, really strong for uh, the entire first quarter of 2017. I'd like to give uh, ISM 2017 an extra plug uh, that your two keynote speakers, uh, one is uh, David Cameron uh, from the UK and Colin Powell. So I'm looking forward to hearing their uh, keynote addresses. Uh, it should be quite interesting. Well, very much so. And we do draw top talent, um, as, as you know, and they have, you know, remarkable insights, you know, you know well beyond, uh, you know, our, our economy. They have a global perspective and we'll be able to, to put, our information in, in context with that. And we also, as I mentioned, have a noted economist and we'll have a dialogue uh, about uh, the global economy uh, and our report as well. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Fred, is there anything in this report that um, concerns you? You know, we've got some numbers that are uh, – are bumping up uh, towards the 60s. I, I'm not quite sure where the ceiling threshold is, but uh, why don't you share that with our listeners? Uh, well, one comment that that I've had today is that, gee, um, you know, the PMI is is uh, is is down a half a percentage points. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's down a half a point. Uh, but the more important thing is what is the index? It's at 57.2. And it's been, you know, quite honestly, a few years since we've had back-to-back 57s. So it's it's very very strong, and we can't uh, we can't have these numbers continuing to just go up, up, and up. When you get into the 60s, for example, that's not necessarily sustainable. So I really love where the PMI is now in the in the mid 50s. So. Uh, 
you know, that's, that's a very, very good place to be. And uh, all of the numbers uh, fit, fit and plans together very well. You know, to your question, is there anything that concerns me? Um, you know, the only thing that, uh, that comes to mind there is the prices index at 670.5. And when I look at the list, that the lists that we have of commodities up in price, down in price, and in, in short supply, it's, it's quite telling. The commodities up in price is a pretty long list of, of uh, commodities and, and inputs, including plastics and metals um, and, and um, you know, acetone, acrylates, caustic soda, titanium dioxide, uh, you know, natural rubber corrugated uh, packaging is, you know, is is up in in a number of different subcategories. So, lots of things are up in price. I guess no surprise. But one thing that is surprising is that none are down in price, and that hasn't happened since 2014. To have nothing to talk about there. Uh, commodities in short supply uh, uh, include capacitors, electronic components, and methacrylates. So we uh, we do have some some shortages uh, here and there, um, okay. but that's that's something to look for uh, or look at, and that is that is prices and how that plays into uh, the uh, broader economic indicators. Well, it's interesting that you bring up uh, that you had the question that the PMI is uh, down in price just before you came on the air. I reminded our listeners that this is a rolled-up report. And when it rolls up above 50, we have a growing economy. And when it rolls up below 50, uh, we may have a a retracting economy. But uh, this is a very positive number at 57.2. Well, for sure. And speaking of the overall economy, it's now been growing according to our statistics for 94 consecutive months. Um, And let's just keep that going. Uh, I think there's a great, great buzz, great attitude out there. I think that means a lot and uh, it, it parlays into the numbers that we see from month to month. I would what, really I, what, I find, what I find uh, interesting is that the this upward uh, trend uh, started back in August when the uh, PMI number was at 49.4, and it's been just tracking along, going up, up, and up every month. And uh, this surely gives a uh, significant sign that uh, it, it's not it's not choppy waters. And uh, I guess it's now gotten to the point that, uh, you know, in a rising sea, all ships rise. So, uh, and that certainly uh, is indicated by this report. Right. We've had a positive, we've had a positive PMI uh, since March of 2016, which is at 51.7, with one exception, and that was in August, it hit 49.4. Uh, just to sort of take a breather, if you will, and now it's at, uh, you know, very significant uh, levels, as we've mentioned. Well, we did. 
Brent, I know you've got a, a busy day ahead of you. You've got lots of interviews to do, so we appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio and giving us as much of your time as you have. Thank you for being with us again. And we'll my pleasure. Thanks in, so much. Uh, we'll see you in uh, Orlando. Very, very good. Look forward to it. <laughs> okay. You take care now, Brad. Bye for now. Thanks, Brad. And that was Mr. Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair for the Institute of Supply Management's Manufacturing Report on Business, which can be found at their website. Uh, always a lot of great information in the depth of that report. We encourage our listeners to pour through it. And we'll shortly... Why don't we give the uh, URL address uh, for uh, ISM, which is IMS, uh, I, 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 Actually, ISM. Uh, yeah, I, I go by the old one. ISM. Yeah, I know you do. It's for supplymanagement.org, and the one for their um, upcoming conference is ISM2017.org, so, by the way, so uh, get involved with both of those. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM, brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to ThomasNet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Joining us now is Dr. Chris Keogh, who is a nose economist with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. Uh, generally, we have him go over the Credit Managers Index Report, and then we go on all kinds of subjects because Chris has got a terrific worldview. Chris, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. 
Unfortunately, Tim also did not mention that you're a stand-up comedian, uh, which we appreciate, <laughs> well, we appreciate well, your well, humor. Only I mean, because don't do... you set the expectations low when you tell people I'm an economist. <laughs> and so if I'm even remotely entertaining, that's, that's like, oh, my God. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, Brad Holcomb gave us a very rosy report from the Institute for Supply Management and the Purchasing Managers Index report, which is so at 57.2. So don't mess it up, Craig. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So that's what, right. How are the credit managers feeling about all this, Chris? Well, we're a little bit less enthusiastic than we were the month before, but the numbers are still high. So what we're looking at is is it's, down just slightly, but now we're beginning to think that what we saw in the previous month was maybe a little over-enthusiastic, and so things are kind of, of settling back to slightly more normal levels. The good news is is that the data that was basically presented in the unfavorable categories actually improved a little bit, and most of the decline we saw was in the favorables, which were already really high. Uh, we're still looking at numbers that are in the 60s, high 50s when it comes to the favorables. Now what we're seeing is some of the unfavorable stuff looking a little healthier. Uh, the month before, several of those were in the high 40s, low 50s. Now most of them are into the 50s, and that's a good sign. It means that companies are struggling a little less than they were the month before. Well, that's good news. Um, we certainly. How does the manufacturing sector look, Chris? Because I think you've covered man, all. Yeah. Of that. Yeah, we do. We look at manufacturing and service both. Manufacturing was actually a little bit healthier than the service side, and the numbers again declined just slightly from what they were the month before. There really was only one area that was creating a certain amount of consternation, and we saw it manifesting both on the favorable and unfavorable side. On the favorable side, we began to see dollar collections slump a little bit. And then on the unfavorable side, we were seeing uh, the slow pays, the accounts beyond terms, increase a bit. What that suggests, and this is something we're going to watch really carefully, is that some companies are struggling to keep current. Um, they are beginning to slow down on their payments, they're beginning to have a little trouble uh, meeting their terms. They're not at the point that they're being declared a problem. We don't have collections taking place. They're not in bankruptcy, et cetera, but they're beginning to show a little bit of sign of stress. Kind of expected because as, as the economy begins to improve, companies try to get ready for that improvement, and they will start to invest, and they will start to spend money, and then if they don't get the improvement that they'd hoped right away, they find themselves at least in a temporary bind. So we're watching that like a hawk. If it recovers next month, we're like, okay, no problem. Um, if it gets worse next month, it's going to be, okay, this is going to start turning into more serious stuff sooner than later. Well, well, we certainly don't want that ugliness to occur. Uh, of course not. No, it's all sweetness <laughs> and light from here. Kind of on an offbeat subject, uh, Chris, only because there's uh, always people out there working both sides of the coin. 
uh, and the one side of the coin is all very positive and the PMI is up and the, the CMI index is doing very well. And then you got the guys like Harry Dent who said, you know, we're in the Helma, the Thelma and Louise vehicle racing to the edge of the Grand Canyon and we're going off and it's going to be worse than the Great Depression. Uh, yeah, I, I I have a real a real hard time with with that mindset because what you frequently well to put it bluntly in the economic community we sometimes refer to these people as stopwatch economists. A stopwatch is right twice a day. You just have to know when to ask. <laughs> and if you are constantly predicting recession, it's going to be tomorrow. 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 Eventually, you get a recession. Say, I was the first to predict it. I predicted that recession in 1833, and by God, we got it. And it's like, yeah, but if you missed 20 years of boom, um, from a business perspective, that's even worse. Um, so it's, my challenge is that you see a lot of analysis that is, is kind of based on taking data and extrapolating it as if nothing is going to change and it's going to be on a trajectory that nothing will impact. Part of what makes me a little less worried about an extra recession is kind of the bad news that we never got out of the first one. Um, we're still dealing with abnormally low growth. We're still dealing with, in some respects, a jobless recovery. We're still dealing with a recovery that left a lot of business behind we never did get the boom that generally sort of triggers the Fed and others into trying to slow the economy down. And in the past, there's where we've gotten the second recession. You get a recovery, it stimulates things, everybody starts to grow, the Fed gets worried, they start to see inflation getting out of control, they clamp down, and they send the economy right back into another recession. There's been no reason to clamp, and the inflation rate just this month finally hit 2%, which has been a goal for the Fed for the last five years. <clears throat> We've never had inflation take that long to manifest. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, you say it's almost a jobless recovery, yet the government's reporting uh, full employment. We're at 4.8, 4.9. What's really going on, Chris? Well, the challenge with employment is always how you measure it and what you're looking at. So we're certainly seeing full employment numbers when you look at the U3 measurement that comes out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But if you look at U6, we're closer to 10%. And we have an awful lot of people who are, for all intents and purposes, unemployable. Uh, we have 8 or 9 million people that should have gotten jobs by now. I mean, there's lots of jobs out there. You and I have talked about this endlessly, the job shortages in manufacturing. So why aren't those 9 million people taking those jobs? I mean, are they all just lazy couch potatoes? No, they don't have the skills. They, they can't take the job because they don't know how to do the job. That is becoming a chronic problem, and it has driven sort of our real unemployment rate to maybe 10%. If you look at people who dropped out completely and are not even being picked up by the U6 measure, it could be as high as 17%. Um, and, you know, these are people who just more or less permanently live on the margins. And every country has this issue, but we probably shouldn't have this many, uh, given the wealth of this country. And But it's, it's not an easily solved problem. You know, we've talked about this many times. Manufacturing could hire 
a million people tomorrow if there were the qualified applicants out there, but there aren't. Right. It, there, is, there are a lot of programs uh, that are developing, uh, Chris, uh, with the uh, local governments and the state governments and the community colleges, uh, the NJITs, uh, like the New Jersey, the NJMEP, which is nationwide. And uh, we've actually been to several events where we uh, have seen uh, young people uh, getting really involved and getting interested in uh, manufacturing. So there's, matter of fact, two Saturdays ago, there was an event in New Jersey. It was called Maker's Day, uh, mm-hmm. up by NJIT and NJMEP, where there were 300 libraries where they had events where children between the age of about 8 and 16 uh, were there making things and showing, you know, a little show and tell of things that they've made and created and so on. And there was a total of about 50,000 people that came out for that event on that Saturday morning. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're certainly seeing, we're, we're seeing some progress, but the point that I always make is that we know we've made progress when this is no longer unique where nobody says, wow, we're actually doing this. I mean, in the German school system, every single solitary school in the entire country of Germany trains people for jobs in manufacturing, every single school. So, I mean, to say, wow, we're training people in Germany, they were like, well, yeah, I mean, dough. <laughs> um, and in, in this country, it's like, wow, look, 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 look. We actually trained somebody. Wow, that's amazing. It's like, it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, it should be like, well, of course we are. I mean, what else would a school be for? So we just have to get to a point where it's routine. And we're getting there slowly. Um, I think these programs are setting a tone for what happens in the future. But it kind of comes down to demand and supply. Parents, students, schools have to demand that these changes take place, um, particularly parents and students, because their future depends on it. And if you don't see that change, we're going to have what amounts to a permanent underclass that is going to be left at the margins, unable to really get those good jobs. I mean, we're going to get jobs numbers this week. And one of the things that we'll look for is what kind of jobs. Um, If this is following in the pattern of the last year, you'll see a lot of service sector jobs, you know, well, it's great. You know, people are getting jobs, but getting a job at Walmart is not getting a job at a manufacturer that is at some point going to be offering you eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 as your skill level increases. Hiring a bunch of people who are making $10 an hour does not advance the economy very fast. I believe that last month's numbers of new jobs was 237,000 of which mm-hmm. 38,000 was for manufacturing. Yep. So, and it's, it's beginning uh, you're beginning to see a turnaround, but even with the manufacturing jobs within that 40,000, there were a lot that were not considered high skilled and you know, there are still a certain amount of low-skilled positions within manufacturing. So there's a way to go. We've not we've not given up by any means the the desire to to expand this, but we just have to not get complacent and realize that we still have a long way to go, that only 5% of high schools in the United States still offer industrial arts. And it used to be very common. I mean, going 
back to the Stone Age when I went to high school. We all had a shop <laughs> class. I mean, you know, I distinctly remember everything I made. I put two grooves in it and called it an ashtray. Um, but anyway, we all had exposure. Now it's rare. I still have my letter opener made out of stainless steel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still have the sort of misshapen metal object, which at one point was considered a, a coaster. Um, <laughs> but it didn't start out to be a coaster. That was the problem. Chris, academia, as it tries to throttle up at all levels, you know, low-tech schools, colleges, universities, STEM schools, how far behind are they? How long before they they've actually got enough output of skilled people that manufacturing no longer has to sweat it. You know, it's hard to put a time on it because manufacturing itself changes. One of the great challenges for schools is that the demand changes every year. Um, You have new technology, new skills being needed. How do you keep up? And, Part of it is just, again, making it routine, making it that literally every student at every school has exposure to something that would allow them to make a living. And I think we're quite a ways away from that because it's not something you can change quickly. There's no national standard. There's no – we have a Department of Education that mostly gives grants and advice. Most of what happens in a school is the local school board and the local administrator. Some schools are very progressive and really understand their community. Others, not so much. And that's going to be a slow, a slow process. And I'm encouraged by the amount of stuff that I see. Uh, FMA obviously does a tremendous amount in this area through the Nuts, Bolts, and Thingamajigs Foundation. And we've, we've run camps. We expose kids in every conceivable way. There's Manufacturing Day. We do a lot. But it's it's one of those things that even as much as we're doing, we could do a hundred times as much and and be still probably short the people we need. And so, uh, do we have uh, um, a situation where uh, it's going to be you know the manu- the manufacturing of skilled labor ramps up just in time to watch manufacturing? slip into a slope area. <laughs> I don't think so. I think one of the things that we have learned to do from a manufacturing perspective is that we react more quickly than we have in the past. As new markets develop, we have response. Probably the biggest challenge from a employment perspective is that manufacturing has become very comfortable with technology, robotics, And those challenge jobs far more than seeing the jobs move overseas. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, we worried about losing everything to Asia or someplace else. And now we're not seeing much of that migration at all. What we are seeing is robotics and technology replacing workers. And that will accelerate because that's how we've become competitive again. That puts even more demand on the students. Chris, let me ask you a, a quick question because I, I have another engagement that I have to step out here. But I do want to ask you one question, and I'm sure you're going to have some kind of a humorous retort. Did you, you're just late for your poker game. I know you. So. Yeah, okay. yeah I, every, every Monday afternoon uh, in my retirement yeah, yeah. years, I play poker. 
Have you heard about the interview that uh, Bill Gates uh, gave about a month ago about taxing robotics at the same rate that we tax employees? Yeah, I didn't hear that speech, and he's not alone. There's been a number of people who are trying to figure out sort of how to deal with with what amounts to the, the replacement human. You know, you have robots that are playing the role of humans. They're doing what humans used to do. So should we obligate robots to pay their way in the same way that we have humans do? So, I mean, that's a rather unique approach, but there's also been a lot of conversation about how do you tax technology? How do you manage it? How do you regulate it? The important thing is to figure out how to do it in the right way. If we're only trying to preserve jobs and slow down robotics and, and technology, that's the wrong approach. If we're trying to figure out a way to accommodate technology, grow the economy with technology, and at the same time prepare the workforce for that new future, then there's there's some legitimate reason to to sort of use that money, maybe earmark that money, as we have done in the past. I mean, we've had lots and lots of taxes in the past that have gone to specifically build up an, an industry. And we can do that again. And so maybe it's taxing technology to train more people for technology. And because that's, again, the, the challenge for the school is they're willing to do it in many cases, but where do they get the money? to put those kind of machines in place. I mean, it's, again, going back to my experiences, it was shop had a bunch of drill presses and a lathe. Now you're going to have to have a computer-aided technology and high-tech stuff. And if you train some kid on a technology that's five years old, what's the point? Well, my, my feeling on this was that uh, it's just another government money grab scheme and it's probably premature for the industry as it is now. Why not? Well, of course it is. I mean, as soon as as you mention the word tax, it's a government money-grubbing scheme. Um, I mean, by definition, that's what a tax is. And (laughs) the challenge with with a lot of taxes is that you're trying to use taxing. There's two reasons you tax. One is just to raise money for the government to operate on. The other reason that people tax is they're trying to shape behavior. And we have an awful lot of those taxes, and those can be very frustrating. You know, taxes are high on cigarettes because we're not supposed to smoke them. Taxes are high on alcohol because we're not supposed to drink. So taxes high on robots so that we don't use them, not a good idea. Um, so that's, that's the problem is you can't really change human nature just with taxation. Correct. And on that note, uh, Chris, it was great talking to you. Uh, I'm off to my poker game. And uh, Timmy, we'll uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, let me me grab Chris for a couple more minutes, and uh, then uh, Lou is off to uh, uh, his uh, flight. Uh, Chris, as we look forward on the economy for the next six months or so, and the ISM number has been up and strong, we're now at a 94-month uh, economic expansion, even though it may not be as strong as we all had hoped. Uh, that's the third longest expansion in the history of the United States. I think 120 months is the top. What's it look like throughout 2017? Does it look like things are going to continue to roll forward in a positive way? Yeah, I think they will. I mean, I've heard a lot of commentary about 
the length of this expansion, and it's the third longest and all that, we also have to recommend or remind ourselves that it's the slowest recovery we have experienced since the end of the Second World War. So, yeah, it's lasted a long time, but it's been very, very slow, and we're not looking at anything above 2.5% for this year. So that's good news and bad news. The good news is there's really nothing to interrupt this growth um, because there really isn't a surge that's going to cause kind of a reaction to slow down the economy. The bad news is that it's slow, and we've not seen the kind of, of growth and expansion and recovery that we'd hoped. We got a little bit of the Trump effect uh, as the election ended and as we got into the first quarter. But now we're learning that, wow, all the rules of Washington did not change. And, and you're <laughs> right back to where you were before. You know, it's like Congress is the biggest player in all of this. And going into the into the new year, it was like, well, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And then Congress says, no, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. And so a lot of faith has been shaken because, oh, so maybe we're not going to get tax reform. Maybe we're not going to get deregulation. Maybe we're not going to get the repeal of Obamacare. It very well may not. Uh, The same forces that have been blocking this for the last 8 to 10 to 20 years are still there. And it's not going to vanish overnight. So I suspect that we're in for an extended period of, slow, unsatisfying growth. I guess the way I would put it is that we're not looking for a heart attack economic moment. We're not suddenly going to be experiencing a massive downturn. We now have a chronic disease economic issue. Um, We're just going to feel crappy for years. (laughs) Well, that's certainly, uh, I think, accurate. I know as we came out of 2008, 9, uh, we were all hoping for what we had experienced in our past lives of the boom following the bust. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You're right. It has not happened. Uh, it has been a very slow uphill climb. How are consumers doing in terms of uh, cleaning out their debt, uh, balancing their checkbook so they've got buying power? Well, there's there's the rub. Um, consumers are feeling optimistic. At least that's what they're telling all the surveys. Unfortunately, they're not hitting the retail stores with quite that amount of enthusiasm. The other problem we're running into is that that debt is climbing again. Um, We were doing pretty well in terms of getting control of that two or three years ago, but we're back to using plastic. We're back to going into debt. So far, it is not anything close to what it was prior to the big recession, and we can probably handle this for a while. But there's always the danger of people who are sort of marginally able to pay their debt taking on more than they can handle if things don't work out for them. You know, right now we have a lot of people who are very confident that they're going to hang on to their jobs, that everything's going to be fine. So why not? I'll buy a new car. I'll upgrade my house. I'll buy stuff. And that puts them back into a situation where if things don't go very well and they do lose their job, they're in a crisis within 30 days. So that's the risk. We just, we just as consumers, don't have much of a pad. Right. I would agree with that. Uh, one uh, closing uh, question for you, Chris. There's been some talk of, you know, that we had the housing bubble and that's what drove us over the, the ledge in uh, 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.